Well, I learned a valuable lesson a number of years ago. Uh, I was starting a leadership small group. I selected just three guys who I thought would be strong spiritual leaders, and I selected these three guys. I was going to meet with them every week. We were going to do life together, and uh, was going to breathe into them leadership. And two of the guys I had known uh, pretty well. The third guy I didn't know that well, but everything about him just um, it just seemed like he would be a great leader in our church, and he had like an impressive resume. He went to a prestigious college, university. He was highly successful, strong leader in the business world. He was always there, uh, showed up, was serving, and so it was kind of a no-brainer to include this guy. And so the three of us began to meet, and it didn't take long of us really getting together each week and beginning to have intimate conversations and really doing life together to realize uh, that I had made a mistake. <laughs> uh, I had invited someone and had really communicated to him, him even um, that I was developing him for leadership in the church, but the more I got to know him, the more I realized not only was he not a spiritual leader, I wasn't sure he was even a follower of Jesus Christ. I mean, I think he was, but the more we talked, the more I absorbed, observed his behavior, how he interacted with his wife, the more we spent time together, up close, the more I began to see some character and some conduct issues. And that was a valuable lesson for me as, as a fairly young pastor at that time. And I, I share that this uh, evening as we begin to just remind us, it was a great lesson for me, that a person's true conduct and character is revealed up close. Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to look at this issue of our conduct and our character. And, and they go together, by the way, conduct and character. Uh, our character is that inner being. It, it's who you are when nobody's looking. It, it, it is who you are on the inside. It, it is uh, spiritual character is, is a person who is, who is strong. They have a strong uh, compass. They, they know what's right. They, they know what honors God. They're, they're not doing things to impress people. Uh, there is a love that, that, that they have for Christ, a desire uh, to know his word, to obey it. They, they are a man or woman of, of character. And the conduct simply flows out of that inner character. Now what we're doing tonight is, is we're actually looking at verses 1 through 7 in 1 Peter chapter 3, and specifically it is about the husband-wife relationship. And we're going to actually hit a couple things that may make a few of you maybe even cringe in the world that we live in today, and we'll navigate through that, we'll walk through that together tonight. But you might be here tonight saying, I'm not married, don't have a husband, don't have a wife. Um, you know, I saw someone who looked about 10, I think he's probably a few years away from getting married, right? So, you know, there's some of you that, that, that might not be applicable if we, if we simply looked at the husband-wife relationship. We're going to touch on that, but we're going to actually draw out of tonight's passage uh, three 
principles that will be applicable for all of us. Now, today was a bit of a challenging day. Um, it did not go as expected. Uh, and so uh, there are no notes up here. So you're going to, if you, if anything is worth writing down, um, you know, you, you have your phone there. We don't have the, uh, the programs. We don't have the growth guides tonight. We will get the growth guides. If you've been here before, you know what those are. If not, each week we have growth guides that have all the main points, a verse-by-verse commentary, questions in there. Uh, we will have that up and running for you tomorrow if you want to go back and look at that. But for tonight, you got to just look at my ugly mug, listen really carefully, and uh, if you want to write anything down, you have to, you know, write it, you know, type it in your, you know, phone or whatever. But, um, but here's the deal tonight. Um, we're going to look at the husband-wife relationship, but we're going to broaden it to some principles for all of us. Again, the theme of 1 Peter is how do we live a holy life in an unholy place amidst the pain and the persecution that we'll face for pursuing holiness in our lives? How do we navigate through that? And so he continues with this theme that we looked at last week, this theme of submission And last week we looked at submitting to governing authorities and we kind of walked through that about respecting and submitting, but we also touched on, you know, when is civil civil disobedience an option and how do we navigate through that? We looked at uh, that and then we looked at submitting uh, to our bosses, to our employers, and then ultimately we looked at, of course, submitting to Jesus Christ. And uh, there's a fourth relationship we're to submit to. Uh, and that is in the husband-wife relationship. So let me just throw this out there before we dive in. I'm gonna give you a little, and I, I would encourage you to write this down. I wanna give you a little principle on how to study the Bible. You know, I really have a strong conviction that one of the goals for me is not just, not only to teach the word of God, but in doing so, to do it in a way that it teaches you how to study the Bible for yourselves. Trust me, we don't want followers of Tony. <laughs> Trust me, all right? One's more than enough in this world, uh, one Tony, right? We, are, we want followers of Jesus. We want you to be students of the word of God. And so one of my roles is not just to teach the word of God, but to demonstrate, and that's why I don't cherry pick, that's why I work through the word of God, to try to demonstrate how to study the Bible for yourselves. And so I, from time to time, I'll throw out Bible study principles. So I want to do that before we dive in. It'll help us understand how even though we're talking about a husband-wife relationship, that we can draw principles from it for any area of life, and it's still being true to the text. Okay, because there's three questions you need to ask when you're studying the Bible. Number one, what does the passage mean to them? You always start there. You don't start with what does it mean to me? There's a lot of bad theology that's been developed that way. Okay, what does this mean to them? Okay, who's them? Well, the the recipients of the letter. What does it mean to them? The second question then is what does it mean to everybody? And what I mean by that is you draw out then a timeless truth. Okay, so you start by saying what is the author, in this case Peter, what is Peter saying to 
These Christians in these provinces around Asia Minor who are facing a lot of persecution and pain for their commitment to Christ. And so what does it mean to them first? We start there. But then what does it mean to everyone? That's the timeless truth. What are truths from this that that we can apply here and today that any person from any generation can apply to, whether you're married or not married? And then number three... What does this mean for me personally? In other words, how do I, am I to apply it to my life this week? Does that make sense? In fact, I would write these in the front of your Bible or something. I mean, I I mean this. This is really, really important. This is a core uh, Bible study principle to understand these questions. What does it mean to them? What does it mean to everybody? And then what does it mean Personal application, what does it mean for my life? How do I apply this to my life? Make sense? Okay, so we're gonna start with what did it mean to them, all right, and and it is very much specifically a husband-wife relationship. Then we're gonna draw out the timeless truth and then close by looking what could be some applications for our life. Sound good? All right, let's stand together and read God's holy word, verses one through seven. Let's read the whole thing, and then we'll dissect it into three parts, okay? Here we go. Verse one, likewise, the likewise, he's linking, like I said earlier, this this subject of submission. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, They may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respect and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious." For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Thank you, husbands, for not saying amen. You would have gotten a lot of trouble there. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, One of the values of expository preaching, that's the commitment of this ministry, it's the commitment of the church that I'm helping launch. Uh, One of the values is it makes you lean into difficult passages, okay? There might be, especially among the female population here tonight, there might have been a few phrases in these opening seven verses that may have caused a little bit of an angst all right, or tension, okay? And we can't, we can't pretend it isn't there, and so we will hit it as we go along. I think you're gonna feel better, I think, when we are done explaining it. So we're gonna break this up into verse one and two to look at the first principle, verse three through six for the second principle, and then end our time with verse seven. Let's go back and relook at verse one and two, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives 
when they see your respectful and pure conduct, okay? So specifically what was Peter saying to his readers, all right, the recipients of this letter, he's saying that you need to submit to your husband. And especially if they don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, by submitting with a uh, respectful and pure way, that you very well may lead them to Jesus Christ. Now, submission is used in chapter two, the end of chapter two, and here in chapter three. And it's sort of, I mean, unfortunately, this word has kind of been captured by our culture, and it's really seen as a negative word, but there couldn't be anything further from the truth. How could a principle that Jesus observed be a bad thing? Jesus demonstrated submission. When Jesus came to the earth, he submitted in human form in the 33 years he lived here. He submitted to the heavenly father. We could give example after example, but the one that probably would come to our attention the most that we'd think of the most would be in the garden, right? (laughs) In, In his humanness, just overwhelmed in, in his humans, this human side of Jesus. He was both man and God. He came in the form of man in those 33 years, but yet was still God. But in his humanness, just overwhelmed with sorrow, knowing what he was about to do on that cross. And, and his humanness said, if there's some other way, Lord, <laughs> but not my will, but yours be done. It was, it was the all, ultimate demonstration of him submitting to the will of the Father. Submission is not weakness. Uh, Someone in a relationship submitting to someone else in the relationship has nothing to do with value and everything to do with roles that God has chosen to establish. Submission is not a bad word. And by the way, we are all called to submit to one another. There's mutual submission. And I would suggest there's mutual submission in the marriage relationship as well. How do I know that? Because Ephesians chapter five, when it talks about the wife submitting to the husband and and the husband loving his wife like Jesus loved the church, right before that passage, that very phrase is used, mutual submission, submit to one another. I believe unapologetically, I believe that God has called me to be the head of my household. I'm not ashamed to say that. That certainly does not make me a sexist. I think it makes me biblical. (laughs) When God created Adam and Eve, he created Adam first and he created Eve and he created her to be a helper to Adam. To help what? To help him multiply the earth. To help him lead his family. My wife and I, we're a team. We work together. She helps me be the leader I could never be on my own. In fact, that word in the Old Testament for helper can be used for the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit helps. It is a noble thing. Don't let the extreme feminist movement hijack that word and make it into a cuss word. It's not. It's a biblical word and it's a word that Jesus lived out in his life on earth. This is not being a doormat. 
It is not just idly standing by and doing whatever your husband says. If, if your husband's asking you to do something that doesn't reflect the character of Jesus, you heard it right from my lips. Tell him, I don't think so. <laughs> Husbands, we're to love like Jesus loved the church. That's with a servant's heart. That means we need to be humble enough to acknowledge when our wives are stronger in areas that we're not. And so in those regards, we submit to their leadership in areas. Me, I'm a spender. My wife's a saver. She's Dutch. Fancy is like getting milkshake with McDonald's. I mean, that's like fancy. That's fancy eating out for her, you know. And I want to tell you, she, she is just better with money than I am. And so while we make major decisions together, um, the day-to-day, she manages our money. And I submit to her most of the time. <laughs> She's not here, so I could be a, a little more generous with, me, with uh, how I do uh, than if she was here. So... Um, but she, she's, she's, honestly, she's wiser with the money than I am. And so that would be just foolish, right? That would be arrogant of me. No, no, I'm the man of the house. I'm, no, she's wiser than me in those regards. And so, anyway, so I'm taking this a little farther than I want, but I just want to make sure we're understanding what, what submission here is. It, it does come from, in the Greek, it comes from a military term. It, it has the idea of rank, all right? Someone has to ultimately steer a ship, but again, in, in God's economy, in, 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 you know, for the kingdom of God, though, it's working together and is learning to mutually submit to one another. And so the husband is to be a servant leader. The wife is to submit in, in the sense of helping him lead the household well. Does that make sense? We good? Okay. So, so what's, the, what's the timeless truth? What is the, if you're here and you're not married, and, it, and what's the timeless truth for all of us? Here's, here's the first of three things I want to give you, okay? Here's the first one. Number one, our daily conduct will always be our greatest witness to who Christ is. Our daily conduct will always be our greatest witness to who Christ is. Notice how he applied, how Peter chose to apply it there. He said, do you realize that your conduct, having a, 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 a submissive spirit that's respectful and just pure in motive, do you realize that that conduct very well may mean that your husband who doesn't know Christ who will come to know Christ? And I want to expand that. That is not just wise. I mean, Scripture teaches this, that our, our life is the loudest thing, uh, is the most powerful thing that we can speak is with our lives. Now, it's not an excuse not to open our mouths and share Christ when God provides those opportunities. Because I've heard it almost as, use that as an excuse, right? You know, we like to quote, was it what uh, St. Assisi's, I think, who said, um, you know, um, at all times preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. I used to quote that all the time, and I get what's behind it, and I get it, but I'm careful to quote that anymore because I don't want people leaving saying, oh, only if necessary, use words. No! <laughs> People come to know Christ, they see it in our lives, but they hear us, we are ambassadors of Christ. We speak the gospel to people in our life. So it's a both and. We need to open our mouths and have the courage to share Christ with people. 
But we are walking billboards and our life, the conduct of our day-to-day life will be our greatest witness or it will be our greatest detriment to people considering Christ. I don't know if it's a true story or just a legend, but there's a story about Alexander the Great who was one day out there with his men in battle and he was walking through the camp late at night and and he stumbled across a soldier who was supposed to be on duty, on guard duty, and he had fallen asleep. So Alexander the Great, you know, kicked him and... (laughs) And, you know, the guy kind of, when he discovered who it was, you know, stands to attention, you know. I mean, this was no small matter. Something like that could have meant his immediate execution. Alexander the Great could have easily just taken his life in that moment. But uh, Alexander the Great instead chose to to show a little grace here. said, uh, excuse me, sir. (laughs) What are you doing? Uh, uh, I'm sorry, sir, I fell asleep. Soldier, what is your name? He said, well... My name's Alexander, sir. <laughs> Excuse me? What is your name, soldier? <clears throat> Alexander, sir. Excuse me? What is your name, soldier? <laughs> Alexander, sir. And Alexander the Great said, Well then, Alexander, either you change your conduct or you change your name. That could be said of us, right? (laughs) We are walking billboards of Jesus. That's what we're supposed to be. The things we write on Facebook, the the interactions we have with people, not the nice people, but the people who don't get along with us, maybe the people who push back on our beliefs. Are we demonstrating Christ in those relationships? At home, Do people see a passion for Christ? Do they see one thing on Sunday, (laughs) but Monday looks radically different? Maybe not even Monday, just in the car ride home on Sunday, they see something different. We're not talking about perfection, but we are talking about authenticity. My kids are here, some of my kids are here. They will be the first to tell you (laughs) that their dad is not perfect. But I know every one of them because they've affirmed me, especially in this past year. That dad, you are the real deal though. (laughs) You do love Jesus and you're passionate about people. We can make mistakes. (laughs) We can stumble. But do we authentically, day in and day out, run hard after Jesus? that will be our greatest witness to those around us who don't yet know him. Not just for wives, for any of us, at work, at home, with our enemies. Let's keep going. Verse three through six, let's look at the second thing. Do not let adore. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. This is how the holy women who hoped 
in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, understanding the context, understanding that not every word translates perfectly, understanding the context in Genesis of, when, of why Sarah called him Lord and what she was really saying, which is not equivalent to, to slave master as, as we might take that. Knowing all of that, I still joked with my wife one day and said, honey, I think you should start calling me master just like Sarah called Abraham master. She did not laugh. She did not consider it funny. I don't joke about that verse anymore with my wife. I hope you understand the context there. I also understand the context in the Bible, Bible times. Understand this, this is this don't shoot the messenger, just is just the reality. The truth of the matter is, wives were considered property the highest level of property, <laughs> but they were considered property in Bible times. The Bible doesn't say that, but in Bible times, that was women. And so I, I want us to understand the, the context of the culture that the Bible was written in, but also understand the context from which this is taken from. This, when, when Sarah said that, if you go back in Genesis, she had found out that, that Abraham and her were gonna have a kid, and my Lord, who was older, significantly older, <laughs> you know, he's gonna have a kid? Uh, this isn't a slave master type of term that's used there, so I hope that eases some of the tension there for you. But she did respect her husband. It was actually a word of respect, Lord of the house, master of the domain. It, you know, he, he, he was certainly in the culture uh, he, he was the head of the house and, and biblically, I, I believe, leader in the home. And so the term was meant simply um, to, to show respect. You know, truth of the matter is, this is not my main point, but this is true for all of us. Um, we don't always respect the character or the integrity of people over us, right? We've all been in situations where we've had people over us and there were things in their lives that weren't worthy of respect. And I think sometimes we think that gives us the right not to respect the position. And I think this is a big deal. I really do. And I'll probably offend maybe even some. I, I think whether it's the President of the United States or whether it's a boss at work that you may have significant disagreements over. You may, and I do. Well, I'm not my, I, I don't, I mean, I don't have a, a boss right now. Um, my wife, I guess, in a lot of ways, bossing me around lately. But um, I don't agree with a lot of the, I'll just be honest, I, I don't agree with a lot of, of, of what uh, some the president's decisions and policies and whatnot. But, you will hear me call him President Biden. So I, I do think that there's that, 
balance we have to find that we don't have to respect everything, we don't have to agree. And like I said last week, there's a place even for civil disobedience, there's a place to stand up and to stand up for truth. I believe 100% in all of that. Um, you may be in a marriage where maybe your wife and your husband is not, is not demonstrating the love of Christ in, so many, in, in different ways. But that you still respect the office, the, the role without condoning the behavior. And, and I know that's hard to figure all that out and that's where a lot of prayer and having mentors in your life is really important. But I do think that there's something here and remember he's, he's addressing two wives who had unbelieving husbands who, who knows, maybe they're going along with the abuse that the, the Christians are experiencing. And yet Peter still writes to respect um, the office of husband. But again, that applies to, to, to anything in our lives. I think we have to be careful when we ridicule, mock those that we don't agree with, even those who do things they shouldn't. I think Listen, our greatest witness will always be standing for truth out of love. That'll always be our greatest witness. I'm going down a road I, I didn't have planned, but my day didn't turn out the way it is, so I don't really have notes, so we might be here a couple hours. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm just kind of talking now, so. Let me give you the second point. <laughs> Number two. Outward appearances may impress people, but inward character impacts people's lives. I'll give that again since we don't have it written up here. Outward appearances may impress people, but inward character impacts people's lives. Um, to go earlier in the verses here, you know, it talks about do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. This is very precious to God. Now, specifically, it's, it's to the, the women. And, and by the way, I don't think that's saying that you, you, you can't wear jewelry or you can't, you know, you, you can't you know, have beautiful hair or you can't put makeup. I don't think that's what it's saying. I, I think it's about where are our priorities? Where, what really matters? Is it, is it the outward appearances that, that we're always worried about making sure we look right? Or are we really committed to being right in our walk with Christ? I made an epic mistake, by the way, and I, think, I actually think I covered it in one of the Phillips this week, but made an epic mistake. I was, I was trying to communicate one time a couple years ago, um, and I'd heard it from my father-in-law, so I just, I'm throwing him under the bus, really. Um, but I was trying to explain, like, I was saying something nice about my wife, and, but then I started talking about, I was teaching on this particular verse, and I remember something my father-in-law said, so I just said it, but I, the, the order I said it after talking about my wife, about like, it's okay to wear makeup, and I remembered what he said, and so I just, I blurted it out. Uh, I, I said, you know, as, my, you know, if what I've, you know as, as the saying goes, you know, if the barn needs painting, paint it. 
Yeah, it was even worse response when I did it before. I mean, there's some truth there. There's nothing wrong with prettying up a little, the face a little bit. That's okay. I, I, the problem was I didn't mean it towards my wife, and the way it came out, it was, uh, it was not good. Let's just say that. But uh, there's nothing wrong with, with you know, dressing yourself up and doing nice things. I, I think we all get that. I, I, think, I think we understand that. But, but I think what Peter is getting at is, is there's women uh, apparently who were finding their value, you know, their acceptance on their looks, their beauty. And, and, and you know those words in Proverbs 31, right? Beauty is fleeting. <laughs> Maybe you've heard of the furniture disease. The older you get, your chest falls into your drawers. I should do notes next week. <laughs> I get in less trouble. This is me just, yeah. <laughs> so let me bring, bring it in. Um, now, I have the rare exception. My wife doesn't age. And it's annoying in some ways. I love it, but it's annoying because... All the time, people say, oh my goodness, you still look so young. And then they look at me. He's like 40 pounds heavier from college and like out of obligation, they're like, oh, you too. <laughs> like we all know they don't mean it. But, you know, they feel like they have to say that. Oh my goodness, you don't, you don't age. Oh, and you. Thanks, you know. So my wife's the exception. But, you know, here, here's the deal. She, you know, she's getting older, you're right? And I'm getting older. I am more captivated by my wife's beauty than the day we met. Because if you know my wife, then you know that she is a woman of inner beauty. And she just happens to still be gorgeous on the outside, which is like a bonus to me. But honestly, with all my heart, what makes her so beautiful to me is not that she still looks young. What makes her beautiful to me is every day I see her radiate the love of Jesus. She has an inner strength, an inner fortitude. I'll be honest, the, the last five months have been some of the hardest months ever. And, and she, I'll just, first, she has been stronger than me. The times I've been wanting to lash out at certain people or the times that I, I just get, you know, sad or feel sorry for myself or whatever. And she has been a steady rock. And I want to tell you, that, that doesn't just happen. I mean, she was obviously raised in a godly home, which is a, a huge part of that but she spends every morning with Jesus. Every morning with Jesus. She loves Jesus more than she loves me. And that's a good thing. 
there's some young men here, so I'm going to just take the opportunity, since I don't really have an outline, and we're just kind of going all over the place anyway, so why not? I just want to say to our young men, oh, it's okay. You know what? It doesn't make you godly to intensely look for someone ugly and marry her. I get that, okay? I mean, no one's ugly in God's eyes, of course, but humanly speaking, listen, I'm going to tell you, I went to college with guys who married very beautiful women who weren't passionate about Jesus Christ. And it's been a battle for them in ministry. Make sure, young men in this room, you are looking for a young woman of character. Beauty is fleeting. Some of them age well and some don't. That's just the truth of the matter. <laughs> it's the inward character that matters most. And so my second point, did I give the second point? I don't even remember. I think I did. Outward appearances may impress people. Inward character impacts people's lives. You know, we have a great example of that from the Old Testament. Um, King Saul you want to talk about outward appearance? I mean, this guy was a foot taller. When they decided, you know, the, they wanted a king, even though God says, like, I'll be your king. <laughs> like, no, we want a king like the other nations. Like, okay, well, here's what's going to happen if you have a king. We don't care. We want to be like everyone else. Okay. And so, the, the, like, the obvious choice was Saul. He was a foot taller, handsome, great in battle, so he was chosen as the first king. I mean, they were so proud of their king. Like, he was tall, handsome, he was a warrior. And they go out to battle, and, and Samuel the prophet says to them, it's first, first, uh, first uh, let's, let's just turn there, why not? All right, first uh, Samuel. First Samuel, chapter something. Just turn to first Samuel, chapter something, if you would, please. Chapter 13. I was going to say, is there such a chapter or something? No, there's not. <laughs> hey, we don't need it from the peanut gallery over there, okay? <laughs> Submissive, quiet spirit, remember that. I'm kidding, buddy, I'm kidding. All right, chapter 13. So Samuel says, this is the deal. You're going to battle. You're going to win the battle if you wait seven days for me to come and sacrifice. All right, we're going to make sacrifice. We're going to build an altar. We're going to sacrifice to the Lord. We're going to consecrate this battlefield to the Lord. So he waits seven days. It says in verse 8, chapter 13, verse 8, he waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel had not yet come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. Okay, so imagine the scene. It's seven days. Okay, it's like, come on, where's he at? Where's he at? Where's he at? People are starting to scatter. And it says, verse 9, so Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. Anybody ever experienced growing up? You do something naughty and your parents show up right when you do something naughty, right? That's basically what happened here. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him, verse 11. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. This is what people who do not have character do. They make excuses. 
and they try to justify it. <laughs> I mean, look at this, verse 12. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. I mean, I just had to. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. This was a man who had the outward appearance but did not have the inward character to lead God's army. Now, we're all sinners. We're not going to get it right every time, of course. I get that. But I think there's a valuable lesson in that for us. You can impress people you can act spiritual on Sunday. <laughs> you can show up at everything, serve at anything. But it's the inner cultivating of the heart with a humble and spirit, a humble and submissive spirit to God that God is going to use to impact this world. God doesn't need great charisma, He needs great character from his men and women who claim his name. Amen? Amen? It's what we do in the secret place, guys, and women. It's when you get up in the morning and you're tired and you just don't feel like humbling yourself before God's word because you have a lot going on. It's in those moments that we decide if we're going to continue to cultivate inner character or not. Nobody there telling you to do it. Nobody around, just you and God. It's in those places. People aren't watching. They aren't looking. You know, it's interesting when, when I, I, I wasn't officially a pastor anymore. It was interesting for a couple weeks wrestling with what were the things for 28 years I did because I was a pastor and what were the things I did because I believed it's what honored the Lord. Would I continue to get up every morning and sit at the feet of Jesus? Not, not because I needed his strength to, to be able to lead a church, but, but simply because I love God. What you do when nobody is looking will determine the impact you have for the kingdom of God. And it may not be thousands of people. It, it might be a spouse that's sitting next to you. It might be little eyes that are watching you. It might be someone at work that you didn't even think was paying attention to you. But they're watching how you respond to your boss, to work gossip, to maybe even things that they're saying to you. At the end of the day, we're going to stand and we're going to give an account to God. We're going to give an account 
on whether or not we magnified and lifted up the name of Jesus. And whether or not lives were impacted with how we walked in our day-to-day life. It's not that hard to impress people outwardly. It takes a real man, a real woman, to grow in character when nobody is watching. And maybe it seems nobody even cares. One more thing. Verse seven. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Uh, This is a phrase here that might be an angst for some of you. It says, living with a woman as the weaker vessel. Uh, There have been different interpretations of this. Uh, I believe that that simply means that in most cases, not every case, but in most cases, the wife is physically weaker than the husband. Not always the case. You ever watch Little House on the Prairie? Harriet, Harriet, she could take Nels, right? She was stronger. I know she could take him in a fight. All right? Not always the case. All right? I mean, but let's be honest. It's, it's you know, with, with, with the thing going on now with transgender athletes, you know? I mean, it, 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 it's, it's biological, it's not sexist, it's biological that, that, that you take the average, on average, a man is gonna run faster than a woman. He's gonna be stronger physically than a woman. That is not sexist. That is a fact. Take the best NBA male basketball player and take the best female basketball player and I'm just telling you, the male basketball player is gonna win. I mean, it's just... Physically, in most cases, a man is going to be stronger than a woman. Not always. Not always. I think that's the idea there. And I think that when God created men and women, that he created a man to be a provider and a protector, to have the muscles, the strength, the stamina, to be able to ward off attack, to be able to work day in and day out. Day, I mean, it was very agricultural uh, society, morning to night, work in the fields. That is not at all minimizing women's strength at all. It's, it's, it's a biological fact that the average man is gonna be stronger than the average woman. So the weaker vessel is not an insult some extreme feminist movement might try to twist these and say it's saying something it's not saying. I think there's something key here. I was thinking about this on my way back from Fort Wayne today. Um, that idea of, of understanding way. Live with your wives in an understanding way. And then he, he says after that, showing honor to the woman as, as the weaker vessel. First of all, you know, men and women, 
Like, I just, some of the stuff out there is just so silly to me. Like, you don't even have to be a Christian to, to, to like, men and women are different. Can I get an amen? amen. They are different. Amen they are. I will never fully understand the female mind. Two daughters, a wife, I will not. I mean, I look at like Solomon, what was it, 300 wives, 700 concubines, or the other way around. I'm like, are, are you nuts? <laughs> I'm still figuring out one wife after 28 years. This next week, 26 years, excuse me, 26 years of marriage next week. Yeah. Thank her. She's the one put up with me this long. Right? That was my sister, by the way, I think, who amen that. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't. <laughs> but I think the understand, like, I, I think it's the idea of respect and being understanding because I don't know this for, for, for fact. I think the idea is you're understanding and respectful as physically weaker. In other words, you don't bully them. You don't physically harm them. You realize that you, you, you could make them physically do something, but you don't. Because that's not honoring and cherishing her. Ephesians chapter five talks about cherishing your wife. It's like our kids, you know? Love when they're little. You're bigger, you're stronger. You can make them do stuff. But as a parent, right? You don't want to just bully them to do stuff. I mean, have I? Sure, I've done it, yes. But I mean, you know, I mean, in theory, you don't want to do that. I mean, yeah, you pull out the I could, I could take you card and like just do it because I'm bigger and stronger, yes. But really, that's not how day-to-day -day you want a parent. Right? Where am I going with all of this? <laughs> I don't know. Someone help. No. <laughs> I believe what we're seeing here is a demonstration of meekness. You know what meekness is? It's power or strength under control. It's choosing not because you, you're physically able, choosing not to get, you know, um, to bully someone around or order someone around because physically you could make them. I mean, I, I want to tell you, I, I, have, I have to be careful. When I hear of a, of a man who strikes a woman, whew, that fires me up. My kids will tell you, I didn't get everything right, but they will tell you, I cherish, I have always cherished my wife. I have never yelled at her one day in 26 years of marriage. I opened the door for her. I cherish her. Because that's what we're supposed to do as husbands. We're to love and serve our wives like Christ served the church. I can take my wife. Fight, I can take her. 
<laughs> That's not even a thought in my mind. <laughs> right? I think the idea, I think there's some, to me anyways, that's the word that kept coming to me, that you are physically stronger, but you're understanding and honorable. And so what's the timeless truth from that? When the strong choose meekness, it powerfully demonstrates the grace of Jesus. Say it again. When the strong choose meekness, it powerfully demonstrates the grace of Jesus. I love this description of meekness by A.W. Tozer. The meek man is not a human mouse afflicted with a sense of his own inferiority. Rather, he may be in his moral life as bold as a lion and as strong as Samson, but he has stopped being fooled about himself. He has accepted God's estimate of his own life. He knows he is as weak and helpless as God declared him to be, but paradoxically, he knows at the same time that he is in the sight of God of more importance than angels. In himself, nothing, in God, everything, that is his motto. You see, a meek person is honorable and humble and respectful to people that he may be in a position of authority over, or in this case, even physically stronger than, because he always remembers who he is in relation to God. And that, friends, is why we preach the gospel to ourselves every day so we remain in our proper place. So that we extend grace to those that have hurt us. So that we don't take positions or titles too seriously or use them as, as a weapon against somebody. You want to stay humble and meek? Spend every morning before you go off for the day at the cross. And when the strong choose to be meek, it is a powerful witness to the grace of Jesus. I remember a number of years ago, a pastor I served under and I was having an issue and I was young and dumb and stubborn and hard-headed. I'm glad I'm not any of those things now. <laughs> um, well, the young part, I'm not. <laughs> but um, I remember we were getting into, into it about um, something theological. And I said to him, you know, I'm not a theological lightweight. And I stormed off. That was my drop the mic moment. I said it to a guy who has his doctorate in theology, taught in a theological seminary, pastored one of the largest churches in Michigan, is, has served on the boards of, 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 if I named them, you'd probably know of these ministries, and I, as a young man, in all of my infinite wisdom and knowledge, proclaimed to him I was no 
theological lightweight. You know, it's the grace of God. God didn't just spite us off, the, off, this, off this planet when we do stuff like that. But you know what I remember about this man? He didn't say anything. He, he didn't remind me of that he has two more degrees than I have. He didn't remind me he had way more letters after his name than I did. <laughs> I don't have a doctorate. He didn't. He could have. He could have reminded me his position in the church as lead pastor. He didn't. What he did is he, de- he, he, he demonstrated grace. And he realized I was fired up and I was fiery and I did not guard my words as I should have. But he got that. And he came around <laughs> a week later and lovingly as a shepherd, addressed that with me, that pride. And told me to read the book, Tale of Three Kings. This is a book on the pride of David's son. (laughs) Not so subtle hit. (laughs) Continue to love me. Continue to mentor me. And I remember that to this day because I became a lead pastor. And the temptation is sometimes to use that position. And his example, I'd love to say I followed it 100% all the time, but that has always stuck with me. He's still a mentor in my life, by the way. That was a demonstration of meekness. When he chose to demonstrate grace, when he chose not to use his power, his authority over me. And I think that can be one of the greatest demonstrations of the grace and love of Jesus this week when we choose to be meek with people. Jesus came into the city on his final week. His grand entrance into Jerusalem. A lot of you know the story. Did he come in on a white stallion, a victorious horse, what did he come on? A donkey. <laughs> In fact, Scripture says, meek and mild is how he entered the city. And in the garden, what he didn't say was, why am I dying for them? They don't even appreciate it. I didn't sin. Why would I die? They're the ones that sinned. And when he hung on a cross, the Bible says that he could have called down, while on the cross, he could have called down legions of angels. Even in his 
beaten state, he still could have called legions of angels and have been rescued. But he hung there, meek and mild. The ultimate, the greatest example of grace. This is our finest hour, believers. We're being less liked in the world. Awesome! Values, biblical values are going out the window. What an opportunity to be a light in darkness. But not arrogantly, not using ridicule and poking fun and mocking the other side. But with the love and grace of Jesus, we stand firm. We're strong. We don't cower. We've got resurrection power in us. So we do not coward. But we stand strong, meek, and mild so that the world can see the extravagant grace of God. Father, thank you for giving me the words to clean up this mess and bring it to where you wanted it to go tonight. May we leave here being reminded, Father, that we every day are receiving your extravagant grace. And when you could, in your authority, take us out, take us home, reprimand us severely, while you do correct us, you show grace upon grace upon grace. And may we do likewise to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you were encouraged by God's word today. You can join us each weekday morning for a five-minute fill-up. And for other teaching, writing, and training resources, don't forget to check out our website at uncagedbibleministry.com. The mission of Uncaged is to help people fall in love with the word of God so they fall more in love with the God of the word.